This is Aaron Ginsberg, and you are watching the TV Writer Podcast. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. This is Gray, and I'm here with TV and feature writer-producer Aaron Ginsberg. How are you doing, Aaron? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Cool. Really, really appreciate you coming on. And wow, you've actually dabbled in a whole pile of different things. You've directed plays, you've written for video games, you've written for comics, um, and you were actually the former senior editor of Script Magazine. So this is yes. actually a really interesting tie-in. Yeah, totally. I, I, I did. I, I worked for Script for quite a few years, actually. Mm-hmm. And you wrote the the column Hollywood Hell uh, about your not so glamorous rise through the ranks in the biz. Yep, and uh, that, I also did some yep. interviews similar mm-hmm. to what you're doing, so it's kind of fun. Yeah, and and actually, it's the not so glamorous rise that I think is really interesting and and of particular interest to this podcast. I, I'm sure we've all read Adventures in the Screen Trade. Yes, absolutely. And and uh, yeah, it, it's it's those not glamorous bits that are the reality of rising up in the, in the biz. Yes, that is true. I, I didn't come to Los Angeles with the, the hopes and dreams of being a, a television writer. Uh, and I really did believe it would be like easier than it was. I don't know why. I guess when you're younger, you really just, you're like, I can do it. But it's, it's not an easy business to crack into. And, uh, and so I, you know, I was able to keep my, my spirits high despite just you know one humiliation after another for many years, which have provided lots of great anecdotes, mm. <laughs> but, but it was a, a twisty, windy version of, of success for sure. Cool. Well, well let's, let's talk about that. So, so you started out where? Well, I, uh, when I first moved to Los Angeles, I'd come from, uh, uh, I'd been in New York because I was trying to be a playwright. Mm-hmm. Um, because that seemed like a really good idea. You know, you can make a ton of money as a playwright. Uh, so I was in New York for a while, and then I had been lured to Los Angeles by uh, a script I'd written. Um, and they were like, oh, this could be, it was a feature actually. And they're like, oh, this is going to be made, and, and we have to come to Los Angeles for meetings. And of course, by the time I'd uprooted my whole life, that project had fallen apart. And mm. So I was here. I'd stay, it, LA had lured me over here, and now I was stuck. Hmm. Um, so I started basically working in, uh, in production offices, um, trying to sort of learn the business from, from that way, you know, from sort of like the, the bottom up, mm-hmm. as they say. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, I worked for, um, <laughs> as, even as I'm saying them, it's like this, the humiliation is so absurd because I, I did some crazy ones, including I, I pretended to be a lawyer, uh-huh. uh, at a entertainment law firm. No, seriously. Yeah. I started in there like the mail room and. And uh, basically what happened was I, uh, one of the lawyers in the firm had to go on maternity leave and one of the other lawyers was like, oh my God, would you mind sitting at her desk and like handling some of the paperwork? Cause you, cause they could, they figured out that I was, I, I'd learned stuff pretty quickly and I uh-huh. picked it up and he, we just need some extra hands. All you have to do is like, you know, look over to these contracts and if you have any questions you can ask us. And I was like, oh my God, it's secret of my success. <laughs> this is like totally how it's supposed to happen. Yeah. So I, I like, I like embraced it. Uh-huh. I embraced it. And that is, and for months, I basically masqueraded as an entertainment attorney. Because uh, it's kind of the same as writing. Like you're just writing, it's like as if you're writing a monologue for a David E. Kelly law show or something. Like, wow. Like, all the contracts are the you know the same. I've actually written um, a bunch of articles about it because it's, people don't believe this is true, but it was, did actually happen. Uh-huh. And I, Put them up on my Tumblr for free. There were script magazine articles, and I've now po- posted them to my Tumblr. So 
people should check them out if they want to see the the ins and outs of me failing or succeeding depending on how you look at it as a entertainment lawyer. That is hilarious. Yeah. Um, it's funny. You watch a movie like Secret of My Success, and, and as fun as it is, you think, that could never happen. Yeah. The thing that I realized really quickly was that being a lawyer is really, really hard. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love being a writer, but being uh -huh. a lawyer, I was like, oh, my God, this is really tricky. There's all these laws. I <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, so, okay. So from, from being a pseudo entertainment lawyer, then what happened? Uh, you know, I think I would say my first step into like writing, getting paid to write was I stumbled somewhat haphazardly into writing for reality television. Hmm. Um, and it was a very weird, it's a very weird medium. It's gotten so much more prevalent, but when I started, it was not as well known that everything is written. Mm -hmm. I think people know now know it's all written, but but uh, I was, I ended up, um, I work with a writing partner uh, named Wade McIntyre. Mm -hmm. we've, we've been a team for over 10 years, actually. Mm -hmm. and, and how did you guys meet? We went to undergrad together. Mm -hmm. uh, and we both knew we wanted to be writers. And then after, after we graduated, he went on to get a master's degree. And I went to New York. And, you know, years down the line, you know, a couple years later, we ended up in L.A. together. Mm -hmm. And we both had written spec scripts. And I was like, oh, would you take a look at mine? And he's like, yeah, would you look at mine? And then we swapped, and I had a ton of notes for him, and he had a ton of notes for me. Mm -hmm. And we were like, you know, this would be a lot easier if we just, you know, combined our forces. We could, like, do, do twice as much. Mm. And it's always nice to have. I mean, when you're in the TV writing world, you're always, like, you're always writing in a group with a group of guys, a group of people. Yeah. Uh, not guys, like, I meant, you know, folks. Mm -hmm. uh, not, not, not men. Yeah. I realized how sexist that's it. Uh -huh. um, and... Uh, it's a really important skill to be able to collaborate and work with people. And when you when you're in a writing team, you sort of are a mobile writing team, a writing room. You know, you always have somebody to bounce ideas off and and be like, "Does this work?" Or "I need another word for this," or you mm. know, that kind of thing. So we've been we've been a team, and we we were a team during the reality show um, uh, era of our career, which was writing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes of. Everything from you know MTV dating shows to Japanese game shows to a, a show that now is kind of popular called Ninja Warrior on mm -hmm. NBC. We wrote 250 episodes. Of oh my Ninja goodness! Warrior. Yeah. Well, in, in in it's not as common to have writing teams in reality. No, I mean because of the way that reality works, we often would split up uh, when we were producing the shows. Mm -hmm. You know, oftentimes, like for the MTV dating shows, we, you know, I would be producing one episode while he was producing another episode entirely mm -hmm. um, at the same time, just in different locations around Los Angeles. And we would be just, you know, standing just off camera telling the 18 year old frat guy the exact best pickup line to get the Hooters <laughs> waitress or whatever. You know, like it wasn't glamorous. It wasn't wow. glamorous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the not so hidden world of reality TV. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and you actually sold a half hour single camera comedy um yes. to Spike TV. Now was that reality based or was that an actual No, uh, single? no, that was that was a that was a uh, comedy. Basically we teamed up with a comedian who's really funny named Brendan Walsh mm -hmm. and had this idea to do like a, a single camera comedy show that sort of was featured him as the lead. Mm -hmm. Um and it was um sort of Slacker surrealism would be the only way to describe it. The Slacker premise, surrealism. Okay. The premise of the show, it was called Crowded Apartment. And the premise was 
27 guys share a one-room apartment in Austin, Texas. 27? Yeah, only paying $30 a month in rent. Oh my and, goodness. And we sort of, the idea was we had our, our core group of guys that were like the leads, mm-hmm. but like kind of like lost every single scene. There was like 20 other dudes in every scene, like sleeping under the sink or smoking a bong or like, you know, making a sandwich. Like it was like wow. the, the house was packed and like they only had one room, but it was for people like, I think all of us have, at least all men, I think when you're in your early twenties think to yourself, we should get a bunch of guys and rent a house. Awesome. <laughs> we could get yeah. a much better house. If we... So this idea was like, what if we push that to the extreme? Like, uh-huh. like the, basically they've created this slacker utopia where literally you have no responsibilities and rent is only $30 and you always have, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it was absurd. But yeah, we sold it to Spike, which was right up there, right, right in there, sort of like sweet spot. But they uh-huh. actually, um, we went all the way through the process uh, and then they ended up not making any, they picked our, our show up and two other shows and they made none of them. They, they still haven't really done any scripted. I think they wow. are sticking with the wrestling at the moment. Oh, wow. Interesting. Oh, actually, uh, that sounds ludicrous, but I actually lived in a place that had nine guys at one See, point. <laughs> see, there's some truth to this idea that all of, all, all of us know it on some level that might embarrass us, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. So, so, uh, from there, so reality TV and you sold this single camera, camera comedy. Um, so what happened then? And, and, and at, at what point did you start writing for a script magazine? I, okay. Script magazine happened because, uh, uh, Wade and I wrote a video game called Call of Duty 2, The Big Red One, which was a, a follow-up to the sort of successful Call of Duty franchise. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I really wanted this job because I, I'm a, I'm a, I would say I'm a casual gamer, but I really like the, the idea of telling stories through games. Mm-hmm. So we, we got this job after much uh, you know, struggling. Um, and when it was done, Script Magazine reached out to us to ask if we would write an article about the process because they were sort of intrigued. Oh, okay. So I, we wrote this article about what it was like to write um, the uh, the game, and I just fell in love with the people at Script and with the process of of it forced me to analyze what I do mm. and write it into a sort of this, this like like. Um, this narrative that like I could teach people or I could, I had made me think about it, I guess. So I was like, I asked script, would I, would they ever let me contribute again? Mm-hmm. And they said, yes. So I, I, I jumped on starting. I, I think I wrote a couple freelance articles and then I did a couple interviews. And then after that, they asked me to come on as a, as a, like a senior editor for, for many years. Wow. I would do oftentimes two to three articles an issue. Wow. Very, very cool. And, yeah. uh, and so by this point you were, you were, we're dabbling in a whole bunch of different things. I mean, single camera comedy, reality, you're writing for this this uh, magazine, um, video games, you'd written features slash S. Um, and so what would you say your goal was at that point? Were you just getting believe work wherever not. you could? or, or Well, you had to pay the bills, obviously. And, and believe me, you know, writing for reality TV was much more fun than pretending to be a lawyer. So at least it was a step up in that sense. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, the, the goal had never changed, which was to write scripted television. Like that's all I wanted to do. And it's just not as easy to get in as I suspected. Hmm. And so I sort of felt like all of these little um, tangents that I would, you know, that I would find myself on career wise, hmm. I found them very frustrating at the time. And uh, it was like, I can't believe I have to do another, you know, season of next or whatever on MTV. I can't believe it. It's so heartbreaking. And what I didn't realize was that that I had slowly and sort of 
uh, inexplicably picked up all the skills you need to produce scripted television based mm -hmm. on all of these other jobs. So when I finally got my first uh, scripted TV show, um, I was um, beyond prepared. I was not your average staff writer because I'd already produced you know, hundreds and hundreds of episodes of television, both on set and in post and all this stuff. So like I picked it all up, although I didn't know it at the time. At the time I was like, no more Ninja Warrior, you know? <laughs> um, well, it's, it's, it's an interesting challenge because I, because I do find a lot of people um, that I talk to, specifically, I mean, the people who watch this podcast tend to be people who are either trying to break in or maybe they're sort of early in their careers and, and they're trying to get sort of more where they want to be. And I find that a lot of us have to be entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs yes. in, in, in the sense of um, we're, we're trying to get as close to what we want to do, but it ends up being a little too far away. And, uh, and sometimes uh, we can major in the minors. Um, yes. how, how would you say that factored into this part of your process? Well, um, definitely when you, when you like in reality, like I, I got into reality and then it was really hard to get out of it because, because, I was able to. I was able to. I was doing a good job, hmm. uh, despite the fact that my heart wasn't necessarily in it. Um, but to answer your question, that's a good question. I feel like at the end of the day, like you have to. There's always more to learn. I, I, I feel like you always have to be pushing yourself. And this business isn't going to hand you anything. Like you kind of have to fight for it. Mm -hmm. But the people who sit back and just expect it to land in their lap, I think have have a, a much harder journey and a longer journey. Like the the, the sooner you can take your own career into your own hands and just like, you know, teach yourself what you need to learn. And that's, and you know, like one of the things I loved about writing for script actually was I got the, you know, it was, it, I got the chance to basically interview all these huge feature writers at that point uh, when I was at script, they kind of only focused on the feature side and I got to ask them anything I wanted to ask them. Mm. So I, and, and, were they going to like open a door for me at that time in my career or introduce me to their agent? Of course not. And I would never have asked. It never even came up. But I could ask them how they did what they, how they wrote, like what was their, and so I ended up using script as this like sort of masterclass for myself. And I tried to share all of what I learned in the articles, but like, mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to make the use of this, this weird job that I'm doing that isn't what I want to be doing to prepare myself for when I actually have the opportunity to Get in the right door. Get in the right room. Hmm, Does that answer your sounds question? Sounds kind of familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's one of those things where you never know. I always tell people you never know when, like, opportunity is going to knock, and when and when it does, you have to be ready. And and one of the ways I got into a lot of things had to conspire for me to get my first official scripted TV writing job. Mm -hmm. And one of the ones was I had been writing for Script Magazine for a couple of years. I'd written, you know. I don't know how many, 50 or 60 articles at that point. Mm -hmm. And I uh, reached out to the editor and said, you know, I noticed you don't do any TV interviews. You don't, it's only features. And I would love to interview a showrunner. And they were like, oh, well, do you have one in mind? And I said, yeah, I would love to interview Matt Nix about oh, Burn cool. Notice. Because um, I had a friend who worked for him, so I knew I could like reach out to him that way. I'd met him once at a party or something. Mm -hmm. And they said, yeah, if you can, if you can get him to agree to it, um, yeah, we'll do, we'll, we'll, we'll do an interview. And I was like, great. And I said, you know, I, I think I'd like to do it my own way though. I'd like to make it my own and not, and not just another, um, you know, like, um, entertainment weekly puff piece or something, right, you know, right, like, right. 
And they, and they said, what would you like to do? And I said, I'd like to interview him, but I would like to be a character in this article. I would like to really like, um, make it feel like, a, like, like, like nothing you've ever read. And they were skeptical, as you can imagine. <laughs> and I reached out to Matt Nix and I said, I'd like to interview you for this, this magazine, but I want to do a different interview than you've ever done before. While, we're, while I'm interviewing you, I want to break into a CIA building and then we'll blow it up at the end. <laughs> and Matt Nix was like, I don't know what that means, but I am totally into this idea. So I interviewed Matt and we did a photo shoot with it that is me interviewing Matt while he's dressed kind of like Michael Weston, the spy from Burn Notice. Uh -huh. And and the photos tell this, in the, in the in the interview is kind of like a narrative. It's like an episode of Burn Notice in and of itself. Wow. It has a beginning, middle, and end. It has all of the twists that a Burn Notice episode has, all in, a, in an article about writing Burn Notice. And at the end, we blow up a, uh, you know, we have a you know, big special effect and there's a great photo of it. Um, and I turned it in <laughs> and script was bath. They did not know quite what to make of it, but they, uh -huh. they, they, they put it in the magazine and it got a ton of responses. And the, the person who was most flattered and stunned was Matt Nix. Wow. Who was like, I, I've read a lot of specs for Burn Notice, but you managed to write a Burn Notice spec in 1500 words you know, you know, in an article, like you've, you've demonstrated, you know, the structure of my show better than people who have submitted specs to me. Wow. And I was like, well, that's what I was secretly hoping for. <laughs> um, so he brought me in for a meeting with, with Wade and we ended up developing a TV show idea with Matt for, you know, six months working on this new idea wow. that we never have really pitched anywhere. Uh, because what ended up happening was like a week before we were planning on taking it out, Matt sold the good guys uh, and called me up and was like, you know, I, I, I sold this show called The Good Guys so I can't take out the show idea we were working because I'm a little busy now, but I'd love for you to come and write on The Good Guys. Wow. And you said, nah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, when do we start? So yeah, we jumped in and, and Matt basically like threw us in and we, we ended up writing a fourth of that, of that first season of The Good Guys. Wow. Very, very cool. Um, and so you were in, and, and as you said, you'd, you'd already gotten familiar with a lot of the parts of the process, so you, you must have just hit the ground running. Yeah, it, was, it felt like, I, I, it was only then that I realized, oh, I've been preparing for this my whole life. Like, I, I just, I didn't, I was nervous, I remember going in that first day, and then I met the other writers who were amazing, and we just, it just was a great team, and yeah, it was just an incredible experience of like, well, now you're doing it, and it wasn't as it wasn't as foreign as I expected it. It was not that different than reality TV. Just there's a lot better actors in scripted. That's mm. the main, you know you still have to think on your feet and solve problems while you're on set and all that kind of jazz. Very cool. And you did end up uh, working for part of the the Burn Notice franchise, um, which was the fall of Sam X. Tell me about that. Oh yes, after the good guys finished, um, Matt had basically sold the idea of doing a prequel starring Bruce Campbell. Uh, directed by Jeffrey Donovan, who's the lead of Burn Notice. But because of, I think, co probably contract negotiations or something, it kept being pushed back. And then it ended up landing in this moment where he, Matt needed to be in the writer's room for the next season of Burn Notice. Mm -hmm. So he couldn't, he couldn't produce it. So he, he called me up and said, would you want to go to Bogota, Colombia and <laughs> produce a movie for three months? Wow. And I said, um, is this a joke? You must be kidding. And he said, no. Uh, I, I think, I, I, I think, you know, you'd be great for this job and, and I can't go because I'm, I'm doing the burn notice writer's room right now. And, uh, and 
if something happens to you, it won't affect the burn notice writer's room. You're kind of, uh, you know, expendable, expendable. Yeah. But I, I was like, you know, I can't say no to this. So I, yeah, I flew down there and for three months I worked with Matt and, and Jeffrey Donovan and Bruce Campbell and we made this prequel, which I think turned out pretty good. Very, very cool. And, uh, and you also, um, around that time wrote the dark indie thriller insight, uh, which yes. with Adam Baldwin, Christopher Lloyd, uh, it's justified. It's Natalie. Is it Z? Natalie Z. Yeah. Z. Okay. Yeah. Um, that that's another one of those examples of we wrote that screenplay probably four years before it got made. Wow. Um, and we we wrote it to be we won't we wrote it to be made obviously, but like halfway through the process, it became clear that the company that had originally um, sort of was had shown interest they had i think they may have even gone out of business or something but anyway they so the, it was kind of like just a sample and so we finished it and then it kind of sat in the drawer for I, i'm gonna say maybe five years i'm thinking and all of a sudden one day we got a call and it was this director who had somehow read it i don't know where he got it from and said do have you do you still have the rights to this and we said yes and he said i'd like to make your movie I'm wow like, God, like I had forgotten it. I was like, I need to read it again. Like, <laughs> I hope it's good. Um, but yeah, he and uh, this guy named Richard Gabai, who'd done a bunch of features, um, all in the sort of indie, like he's still in like that indie world. Like he does them for pretty small budgets, but he gets them a release and he's, he's uh, got a good eye. And, and you know, there people say like the indie film world is kind of dead, but there's still people out there who do it and do a good job. But uh, yeah, he, he made it. And I, I feel like I was producing something else when it was made because I was not on set for that. I was, I mm. think, I was either in Columbia or I was in Dallas doing the Good Guys, but I, I wasn't a part of the actual production, unfortunately. But it turned out really good, and the cast was. I mean, you know, Christopher Lloyd is is yeah. in, like. I was very bummed I didn't get to meet him, but <laughs> <laughs> very cool. And uh, and then came the Finder. Yes, the Finder came. Uh, yeah, it was right after that. We we the Good Guys had had. Uh, gone the way of the of the dodo and um oh you know what's weird i'm sorry as, as you're asking it i'm trying to remember how we got the finder mm-hmm. i had um interviewed hart hansen for script magazine in the same way that i interviewed matt oh really yes i did this interview where basically i, I go it's like a like a gonzo style hunter thompson interview where i like go to meet uh hart hansen and uh we end up finding a murder like a dead body on the set <laughs> and i think he killed the guy and then by the end we solved the murder uh-huh. all while talking about bones yeah and we had a photo shoot we had i had a friend of mine who works at the stan winston company make a disgusting corpse that we used for the photo shoot like this decomposing body wow and uh it's like you know creature effects i mean it was a whole production just for a 1500 word article about wow. bones and Hart, much like matt remembered that and was like this is like a Bones episode. Like, I need to kind of read your samples. So we sent him a sample, and then he actually called me up and said, I, "If if the finder goes, I'm gonna you're gonna be the first person I hire." And that is actually what happened. So, wow. wow. Yeah. <laughs> so Script Magazine really owes I owe my, all my success to Script Magazine. I guess is what I'm saying. Wow. Wow. And uh, <laughs> and I should mention in one of my daughter, she's ten year old. One of her favorite franchises is Home Alone. Yes. Um, how on earth did you land up with or end up with? Uh, one of the Home Alone episodes. We so Wade and I had pitched a TV show to Fox Television Studios, and we had developed it sort of with them in mind. And 
as we were pitching it, it became clear. Basically, we thought it was a sure thing. I think somewhat probably, you know, with some some cockiness in our in our uh, energy, we were like, they're gonna buy this idea. Well, they did not buy it. They didn't mm. buy it, and I was like, I can't believe it. Like, what the hell? Um, and one of the development execs about a week later called me and said, you know, I'm so we talked about it. It just wasn't right for us at this time. We feel bad. We really want to work with you guys. Um, would you be interested in writing the next Home Alone movie? And I, was, <laughs> I, I was like, what? And they're like, we don't want to offend you. And I was like, offend me? No, I'm like, I was like, Ugh. John Hughes is like a hero. I was like, are you kidding me? Absolutely. Like, I, we'll do it. I was like, let's do it. Yes, sign us up. Like, I was wow. so excited. Um, so we, you know, figured out the deal and then jumped in. It was like, uh, I, it was a great experience. John Hughes wrote the first three Home Alones. Oh, he wrote the third as well? Yeah, he did. And and it's just a really clever mousetrap. Now, obviously, none of them are as good as the first one. I mean, mm. everyone knows that. But, like, they're very clever. So yeah. we, we really, you know, had fun, like, figuring out, like, a new... Like, a, basically, can we make it for a new audience? Like, you know, uh, you know update it in a way that isn't... That doesn't feel corny. Hmm. And I think we 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 managed to, to succeed in a lot of levels. Uh, it turned out it turned out really good. I'm pretty proud of it. Very very cool. So if she hasn't seen it, she should check it out. She will love it. Cool. Yeah, I uh, uh, I know she she's seen up to the up to number four. So she hasn't seen that one. Yeah, it's it's a little different than four. We were able to we were able to get away with a lot more. The four, the fourth one was like the it was sort of like they were trying to do something different with it, and I, I it was sort of a, I felt like they they'd missed the mark a little bit. But yeah, it was a little more. Mm, campy. It felt, it felt campy and it felt TV, unfortunately. Yeah. And so we were yeah. able to. We we have a great. Our bad guys are uh, Malcolm McDowell, oh, uh, cool. Debbie Mazar, and Eddie Steeples mm -hmm. from My Name Is Earl. Uh, and we had Ed Asner. I mean, it's a really great cast. Um, so check it out. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> and then uh, and then most recently, uh, NBC's Do No Harm. How did that come yes. about? Uh, Do No Harm. Um, the uh, guy who created it. His name is David Schulner, a great writer, and he and I and Wade uh, went to undergrad together. Actually, no, yeah. So we, I've known him for a long time, and so he, much you know, out here, when you're in the business, like you always have friends that you, you share your ideas with, and you get notes on before you, you know, take scripts out. So Dave has that relationship with me, and I have it with him, and we have we share scripts. And so I'd read an early draft of Do No Harm, and and had said, oh my god, if this goes, it's really good. Like I would love to be a part of it. And when it started to look like it was going to be picked up by NBC, I, you know, we had our agents reach out to the other producers on the show and just like basically get us in the right room because we really wanted to work with Dave and to work on that show. So it was a little bit of kismet and a little bit of a little bit of pounding the pavement. Um, but yeah, it was a, an amazing experience. It was a show, obviously. Now it's kind of historically <laughs> a historic failure in terms of its ratings. But, oh no. Um, but that said, like the process and the people that I worked with were, were just incredible, like really, really good. It's one of those things where you never know what's going to stick on television. Mm. So we really fought to make the show really great. And then it just didn't connect with audiences. People didn't show up to watch it. So it got, uh, it got pulled pretty early. I think they're going to re-air them this summer. We'll see. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was, that, that's how I got in and it was, it was a really cool show. Very, very cool. And, and I just got to mention the fact that, um, the two of you are also writing a new comic for Skybound, um, entitled yes. Clone. Yes, it's very cool. It's very exciting. The the first of our arc came out last month, issue six. Uh, issue seven will will be coming out in mid May, and 
we're we're still going. We're actually working on the next arc after that, so it's it's going to keep going. Um, and it's it's a cool um, sort of grounded sci-fi world where a guy discovers he's been cloned is the premise. But it's not like super sci-fi. It's very mm-hmm. like like real. Cool. So so I'm I'm curious then because you did say that you you wanted to focus on TV and you are still taking gigs with comics. You you still continue to direct for the stage and. Um, and then you do the Home Alone feature. So are, are you still kind of open to different genres and, and different uh, mediums, or, or are you really trying to gradually hone in more and more on TV? Well, you know, the last, now it's been a lot, you know, four or five years, I've been solely doing, you know, I'd say primarily doing television writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that will continue. I mean, that's, that's what I, I love it and that's what I like to do. But I, I do believe that like writing, basically writing, you have to, it's a muscle and you have to work it. So like when we just, when we were brought on to clone to help write this graphic novel, like I couldn't wait because it was a new medium and it was working out different, um, muscles, like things mm. that I, I, you know, cause it forces you to tell a story in a, in a different way. Like there's an economy, you don't, you only have 22 pages in a comic, you know? So you're really, really like, have to really think through the structure and the plot and like, what is the, the, just the least, uh, you can say to communicate what you want to communicate. Um, so to answer your question, like I always want to push myself artistically to find, cause I don't, I don't know what I'm going to discover writing a comic that I can bring back into TV mm. or when I work on a stage, you know, for the stage, similarly, it's like, that's just producing, but we don't have a camera. It's an audience, you know, like, um, I, I just feel like if you just only sit in your room writing and you don't do anything else, like you can maybe fall into a rut. Maybe, maybe some people can do that, but I want to just constantly challenge myself and put myself in situations that are somewhat scary and unknown and see if I can, and see if I can sort of, you know, accomplish the goal. Yeah, well, and, and I think that's that's very, very valid. Um, I know I've also talked to, or, well, we're taping this before his interview, but uh, Mark Verheiden, or Verheiden, um, uh, who um, wrote tons of graphic novels and comics and then started writing for Smallville, Battlestar Galactica, Heroes, etc. And uh, it, it just occurs to me that a lot of my favorite TV shows happen to be ones that just feel very graphic novelish. Yeah, I mean, and nowadays, like a lot of like you know, the goal for Clone is turn it into a TV show for sure. Like that's we, we're breaking the episodes as if we would break a television episode, um, and we're breaking the arcs like we'd break a season. Like the the nowadays, like there's so much stuff that's based on other material, and so it seems like a great opportunity to to basically have full ownership of this idea before we before we sell it. Yeah, that is that is very interesting. So as a strategy for getting your own show off the ground. Yeah, absolutely. Very very cool. Um so so we are basically caught up to the present and uh, I should mention that um you were on the TV writer chat as this will be released in June the the chat just happened from when we're yes. we're speaking uh, May yes. 4th 5th ish. Um, so I would urge everybody to go back to that chat. You can find that the chat transcript at tvwriterchat.com. Um, and uh, there there was a lot of great wisdom from Aaron on on that chat. And I don't want to rehash all of that. But um, why don't we talk a little bit about tips as, as you've done a whole bunch of different stuff. But you've also, you've, you've, you've come at TV from so many different angles, especially 
interviewing for for script magazine and then actually being in the writing room um you've learned a lot of stuff along the way also having a writing partner has given you a new insight to the to the process so so tell me um first of all for somebody breaking into tv what should they be thinking um what should they be thinking in in, in terms of uh now that you've been through all of this um is there anything that you've learned along the way that that you would advise somebody if you want to break into TV, you should do this? Well, um, yes, I guess the the thing which I feel like it seems all, all a lot of this advice always sounds so um, some, sounds so trite, but it really isn't. Um, which is, you have to read a lot of scripts, you have to write a ton, and you have to watch TV, you have to watch the TV and movies, the things that inspire you. Like you can learn so much from watching people do it, do shows the way that you, that you respond to, you know? Um, but like when I started, like we, Wade and I would write, I think we'd write up to four, four to five spec scripts a year. Mm. Um, some based on existing shows, some original pilots. And, you know, I would say, you know, when we were first breaking in, like I would say probably only one fifth of those each year would ever be read or used, Mm. but we didn't know which one would, would hit. And we, Basically, we would. If there was a new show on the air that we really responded to. We would try to write one to learn what they were doing. Mm. And so we've written twenty or thirty different show spec scripts. And again, most people haven't. You know, in the business, like people probably haven't read most of those. But but we learned how a rescue me is is broken and what it means to write a rescue me by doing it. You know, we wrote in Rest of Development to see if we could figure out what Mitch Hurwitz is doing. It's such an amazing show. Mm. That kind of thing. So I feel like when, I, when we started out, and I, I, I recommend this to everybody, is you can't be like, I'm going to write one spec this year and think that's going to be helpful to you. Like, the more you write, the better you'll get, you know? And the better you get, the faster you'll write. And then it kind of spirals. Mm. And there's so many great writers, and there's so much great TV right now, that if you pick a show and then start analyzing it, like, like you know, House of Cards right now is such a great show. Like, if you can get your hands on a script or if you can study the study the structure and then try to write your own version of that, try to find those voices, at the end of it, you will have learned. It's not tangible. It's not something that you can specifically say, but you definitely will have um, improved your your writing skills, you know? Hmm. In- interesting. So, um, so writing the specs is not just... Um, I'm going to carefully craft the one item that I think would be best for my portfolio. It's like going to the gym and exercising. Yes. And I think, you know, you do have to think about what your portfolio is for sure. But, but like you need more than just the, you know, you basically when you get your first job for the most part, most people get on a staff, you will be mimicking the show. You'll be mimicking the show, right? You're going to be writing your best version of Smallville or your best version of the office or whatever show that you get hired on. You need to be able to blend in to, you don't want to make your script different, right? Mm-hmm. Yours has to be, it has to be good, of course, but like you don't want it to be not the voice. And I, you know, there's certain people that have great voices that don't know how to mimic. Um, and that's, that's a technique and it's a technique that you can learn by, by writing in the style of other shows, you know? Mm. And, and so, um, then once you get in um, yes. what, what are your, what are some of your tips about, uh, when you first are in the writing room, um, what to do, what not to do? The, the big thing is, I think when you're, when you're finally working and it's, it makes sense when you say it, but, um, 
is it, it's a collaborative room, right? And so you want to be, if it's your first job or you're early on, you want to listen and observe. And the goal is always to keep the train moving. You know, you don't want to be the person who is constantly shooting down ideas or preventing like, oh, that would never happen. Or I would, I don't believe that. Um, because that doesn't help anything. Like it's better to, if something isn't working, you always come in with an idea of how to either make it work or another solution that gets you to the same point. Hmm. You, you don't want to be the person that's putting up walls. Yeah. Um, because writing is hard, obviously. We all know that. And when you're in a big group of people, you want everyone to be pushing this boulder up the mountain together. You don't want one person standing off the side, their arms crossed, being like, no, this is dumb. Um, and that, I wouldn't say that happens very often, but once in a while there's someone who is just digs their heels in on something and it's like, you're not really helping the mm. process. We really need to get this, you know, like we can, we can fix it later if it doesn't exactly work, but let's just get the big beats where we need to get the big beats and then go from there. So I always feel like when you're first in a room, you know, it's like listening, observing and basically trying to, to lift up the weight and not be the, not be the wall. Hmm. That, uh, that ties in with, I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, John Cleese has these amazing lectures on creativity. No, uh, someone else, met, maybe it was you that mentioned it on the TV writer chat. I need to, I need to see them. So oh, you absolutely seen. should. Uh, just, just Google, um, John Cleese creativity. And, uh, he, he makes some really, really fascinating points about just processes that are necessary for, for the, for creativity. And, uh, one of the things he mentions is that even just creativity itself, you cannot have negativity. Um, it just, as soon as you have any sort of editing, it ceases to be creative. Um, right. And the other thing he, he talks about is how um, you, you have to be open to intermediate possibles, he, he calls them. And mm -hmm. that being able to dabble and play is crucial yes. to get to, um, like as, as you play and as you dabble, you may come up with 10 different things that aren't part of the final solution. But when yes. you do come to the final solution, parts of those 10 will be in there. Yes. And there's also, as most people know, there's not really a right answer when it comes to creativity. Like there's, there's, there's beats that might not feel true, but like there's so many different options for every beat. And so allowing yourself to open your mind to like, if you're in the room and you have, you know that a scene should end a certain way, um, allowing yourself the possibility that, you're right, and the person who has the other version is also right. Like mm. it's not like it's not like there's a uh, a winner. It's like well, then the question becomes rather than I don't I think your version is wrong. The question becomes okay. Well, let's talk about your version and let's see where that where will that lead us in the episode, and is that where we want to end up? And where does my idea lead us? And is that where we want to end up? And then maybe there's even a third version that will get us to even a better solution at the end of the episode. Um, the minute you think like there's only one one road, like it's not you're no longer writing. You're not you're no longer being creative. You're just like it's like a paint by numbers or something. Hmm. Very very cool. And and so, um, what do you think are some of the mistakes that you see people making uh, that prevent them from either breaking in or or getting ahead? Well, um, I think the, the one I mentioned earlier, which is not writing a lot and being like not being fully versed in the world that you want to work in, you know, like not knowing all the shows and, and being able to talk and think intelligently about the, the things that are working on the air right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and the other thing that's sort of a weird one is just like when, uh, is basically getting notes. Like you want to be able to get your script to people and, and 
you know, your script is never done, right? Like I remember when I was first starting out, I'd finish a script and be like, and we're finished. (laughs) But really like in, in the world of TV, like you're going to get notes. If you're on a show, you're going to get notes from a lot of different people. Your co-write the people who work in the writer's room with you, the studio, the, the network, the actors, the production team, like you're going to get tons of notes of all different ways. And Matt Nix instilled this early on in, when I was working with him on Good Guys, which is we, we should try to take every note, you know, like rather than like we're, have the attitude of like, I'm smarter than you, that note's stupid, which some people do have. It's mm-hmm. like, well, no, maybe think about what the something bumped in that person's brain on a moment. And maybe their solution might be a, a bad one, like their, their pitch of how to fix it. But that doesn't mean the problem isn't there. So we, we always try to basically really consider every moment, talk it through, and maybe there's a way to solve it a different way, um, but to make the script better. Uh, so a, a mistake I, I definitely have seen people make is people being like unwilling to, like unwilling to hear notes, you know, to realize that like that's actually the process is, is absorbing all the good ideas you can from the people you trust. Hmm. Very, very cool. And, uh, and just shifting a little bit into pilots and development, because um, mm-hmm. you, you have done some, some you, you sold a pilot, you've, uh, I'm sure you've developed others. Um, mm-hmm. what, what, do you, what are some tips that you might give on when somebody is developing a pilot, how to set themselves up for success? Well, um, if, it depends on, I guess, your level of like, where you are in the, in the biz, actually. But um, the basically like if you're really young, like it's, it's unlikely that you'll sell it. I mean, if it's, if you're not young in age, I mean like if you don't have a lot of experience, Mm -hmm. it's not impossible for sure, but it's definitely a lot harder, but all that doesn't matter. Really when you're writing a pilot, if you're thinking of a new idea, you want your pilot to be a calling card for yourself and you want it to be so good that people will want to make it even though you don't have a lot of uh, experience. You want people to talk about it, pass it around um, cause I think a lot of people I know who are trying to sell ideas, they spend so much time on these like show Bibles and this like, here's the first three seasons mapped out and here are these like 30 page character descriptions. Mm. And I, I tend to think that that, that you can do all that work for yourself cause it helps make, it helps, uh, flesh out the world that you're creating as your pilot. But as a, as a piece of material, it's kind of, at least in my experience has been sort of not important mm. <laughs> at all. The most important thing is your that that script. You know that's what people want to read, and if that script is good, like then they'll then they can ask you, well, do you know where it goes in episode two? Do you know where it goes in season two? But like you don't necessarily need that. That shouldn't be the first thing you hand to people. It's mm. like here's the first three seasons all mapped out. It's like most shows don't get past three episodes on the air. <laughs> like let's yeah. calm down, everybody. Yeah, let's just try to make the first episode really good and uh, make the pilot really good. Um, I also think nowadays, and I'm sure some of the other writers you've talked to uh, have mentioned this, but now um, it used to be you needed a, just a spec of an existing TV show mm-hmm. to get read. And now I think you kind of need one of that to show that you can emulate an, you know, the voice of another show. But a, and a tool, because it's your voice and it's your, um, you know, it's like, it's all you. Like you can just make it your own, however. And so... Wade and I, um, after working on a, a TV show that didn't ever air called The Oaks uh, with Sean Ryan um, a couple years ago, we were given all these notes from 
the uh, the executives that wanted to take this kind of creepy haunted house idea and turn it into a procedural. Mm-hmm. They're like, can you make one of the characters a cop and every week he'll solve a, a you know a, a case? Like, no, that's not what the show is. Well, can you make maybe make one of them a lawyer and they like represent somebody every week? It's like, no, this isn't a procedural. <laughs> like, we don't want to do this. And the notes were so aggravating. Yeah. And the show didn't get the show never aired. Uh, and so then Wade and I decided we would write the super procedural. And so one of our first, uh, it wasn't our first, but maybe like one of the early um, spec pilots we wrote is a pilot called Dr. Lawyer Cop P.I. <laughs> okay, and it's Dr. A, Lawyer Cop P.I. <laughs> and that's actually where my, my Twitter handle came from. My, yeah. my Twitter handle is at Dr. Lawyer Cop. Um, but it was basically an hour-long show that was div- basically every act was a different procedural. It was based with one character, this guy named Dr. Jack Lawyer Cop, who was obviously like, you know, he was every single thing a network executive could want in uh-huh. one character. You know, uh-huh. he, he, he knows exactly how far he can push people as a cop before yeah. he breaks their arm. But then he can set the arm because he's a doctor. And then he also knows how to get out of the, uh, you know, internal affairs investigation because he's also a lawyer, you know? Oh my goodness. Um, but that was like, we, and we wrote that knowing like no one is going to produce this pilot. Yeah. Like, it is, it is like almost like a slap in the face of all network executive notes. Yeah. Like we just, we, we put it all in there. I think our tagline was, uh, did we mention he can cook? Um, <laughs> but, uh, and the funny thing is that script got passed around everywhere and network executives loved it. Wow. And they, and we got so many meetings, we got tons of work from it and it was a, a pilot that we knew going into it, we could never sell it. Yeah. And that allowed us the lib- to be liberated from trying to think of like the, the commerce side, like, well, is this commercial? What network would this be on? Like we didn't think about any of that. We just tried to do. And you didn't do a our, season map up to season no, four. We did not do a character description. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and our characters were good, believe me, but, uh, uh, he, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking of it now. It's like, it was, it's absurd. Like, but it, because it was our voice mm. and it was pure, like people, we got us in the right rooms. Like people, you know, wanted to meet us. And then we had other scripts that could say, yeah, we have ones that aren't this silly. Um, this is a, this is this pilot or this is a spec of whatever. Um, but the thing that the pilot did for us was we allowed us to show our voice, um, like I, Matt Nix read it early on and that's one of the things he, he flipped about for, that's how, why he knew we would be good on the good guys. Cause it was like our spec was this absurd sort of weird twisted cop show. And he's like, Oh, that's perfect. Very, so, very so cool. I, I'd say like, you know, going forward, like think about you know, finding your own voice and showcasing it in your pilot. Is this really important? Very cool. So we are getting close to the end of our time here. I would say if, if I were to sum up a lot of what you were saying, it is, yes. Um, exercise your writing muscle as much as you can and in as many different ways as you can and don't be afraid to think outside the box. Absolutely. I, 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 that's, that's a good, I was wondering if you were going to be able to summarize all my ranting and I, <laughs> you did a pretty good job. I also feel like in life, if, you, if there's something that scares you um, in the, artistically, you should probably try it. <laughs> hmm. Um, cause that's, that's a really great way to grow. 
Very cool. Well, that that is a great place to end up, and uh, I do wish you every success. In... Well, thank you, Gray. It's been <laughs> such a pleasure to be to be on here. Cool, and uh, and I and I'm sure people are going to learn a lot from this interview. And uh, your as you mentioned, your Twitter handle is at Doctor Lawyer Cop. So I'm sure um, yes, people can tweet, tweet you questions if if they, they have sure any. Can. And I do tweet a lot of uh, TV writer stuff as as it comes up. Very so. cool, and and do go back and check out. Um, Aaron's great TV editor chat uh, transcript uh, in early May. So, and if, oh, if, before I forget, if you want to go to the Tumblr, I'm trying, I'm trying to my Tumblr, I think it's aaronginsberg.tumblr.com. And on there, if they scroll through, they, I think they type in script or if they scroll through my updates, mm-hmm. posted a bunch of old script magazine articles about my, about some of the sort of biggest setbacks and hilarious failures and they're just there for free so people should check them out very cool well aaron thank you so much for taking this time and uh and hopefully we'll hear good news from your future projects absolutely thank you so much cool okay thanks bye-bye bye-bye hosted by gray jones the tv writer podcast is brought to you by script magazine and scriptmag.com the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web